Coming up, the NBA Finals are set as the Milwaukee Bucks will face off against the Phoenix Suns tomorrow night. Is this a matchup that you'll sink your teeth into or are you going to pass because there's a lack of interest? The Tampa Bay Lightning are one win away from sweeping the Stanley Cup Finals and back-to-back championships in the process. The mayor of Tampa requests for a loss in Game 4 so that they could potentially celebrate Game 5 at home. Is she right, wrong, or just plain crazy? The LA Dodgers are back to being red hot, but controversy is swirling around their key offseason acquisition in a one Trevor Bauer. What the fallout from the potential of those CD details could do for the embattled Cy Young Award winner. Plus, the rest of the Major League Baseball scenario as we're a week away from the All-Star break. Novak Djokovic's quest for a third straight Grand Slam at Wimbledon. My hero in Zero of the Week. I'm just getting warmed up as another fast-paced, jam-packed sports podcast is forthcoming. But first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the Jay Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? We're already into July. Another holiday is in our rearview mirror. And right ahead of us is everything that's going on in the sports universe. And you know that I got you covered here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 201 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, July the 5th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect here on this podcast is as follows. 
The Dodgers have started to play like the team that everyone has expected from the World Series champs that they are, but the unexpected turn of Dodger pitcher Trevor Bauer has baseball confronted with an entire issue that they'd rather not deal with, which also shows how baseball is sliding down the totem pole as far as popularity is concerned. I'll explain why later on and, of course, go through the whole Major League Baseball landscape. A rather ho-hum first week at Wimbledon as the top storyline is who will stop Novak Djokovic from inching closer to tennis immortality. Also, who may come out as champ on the women's side now that Serena has bowed out of the tournament. I'll have that later on. Tonight, a champion may be crowned in Montreal as the defense of the Tampa Bay Lightning's Cup victory from last year can be completed as it will possibly happen if you ask me. But the crazy thing is, is that the mayor of Tampa has made a declaration to the Lightning to say, hey, just trash game four, just give it up to them and then come back home for game five so we could win and celebrate. Is that a little bit too bold on her part? Is it right, wrong, etc.? You know I'll get into that as well as everything else that's happening in the sports landscape and my hero in Zero of the Week. Now that the fireworks have dissipated into the sky and that all the leftover barbecue, which is probably sitting in a bunch of people's refrigerators right about now or maybe even thrown out, which would be a disgrace to say the least, but now that it's behind us and we could look ahead to the summer, And funny enough, as we get into the start of this podcast, because generally this time of the year, we're talking about NBA free agency. Same for the NHL, as I mentioned just a couple seconds ago with the Tampa Bay Lightning getting ready to hoist another Stanley Cup above their shoulders. But funny how the NBA is front and center to kick us off here, because now that we finally have an Eastern and Western Conference participant to face off tomorrow night and a smart move by the NBA because this was scheduled to begin this coming Thursday and it would have been a PR disaster to know that their final game took place in Atlanta, game six between the Bucks and the Hawks and then have to wait five days until you have tip-off of game one to start the quest of who's going to be the champion for the 2020-2021 season. But now as we... Look ahead, we'll certainly take a look behind as to how the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks got here. And I'll start off with the Suns only because their series was completed first and actually they started well in advance of the Eastern Conference Final. And I know the story right now is going to be all about Chris Paul and we'll get into that whole storyline and that angle, etc. But I really thought last Monday that the Clippers had a shot to push us to a Game 7. And I'm not going to say that they were close because of the events of how Game 6 unfolded. But when you watch last Monday night to where Chris Paul did not have a good game, the Suns, for whatever the reason, maybe they thought being up 3-1 that the coronation was going to begin and it was a foregone conclusion as to them being the Western Conference champions. But Paul George, a guy who has not shot well in this postseason, but in big spots, came through, whether it was in the Dallas series, the series against Utah, of course, with some help, whether your name is Marcus Morris or even Terrence Mann, when you look at that game six against Utah. But for the game five performance, having 30 points in the second half after only scoring 11 in the first half, followed that up with 13 rebounds, just a monster game by Paul George. And not to say that that was going to change his narrative when they call him playoff P, but at least for one night, it made you think and believe that the Clippers were about to be on another journey to get themselves to an elimination game where, as we've seen so far, with their backs up against the wall, until that point, they were successful. 
And with this team, as I said last week, under Coach Tyrone Liu, and knowing that the previous coach and the one Doc Rivers wasn't able to get themselves over the hump to that conference final round, which as we know, the Clippers have never been to up until this year. And even after that performance by Paul George to push them to a game six in LA, they fell not just short, but flat on their faces, especially in the second half where Paul George did not play well. The supporting cast, other than Marcus Morris, who had a very hot first half and pretty much kept the Clippers in the game up until about the latter part of the third quarter because that's where the game turned around. And that's where you saw Chris Paul finally said, the hell with this, I'm going to take over, I'm bringing us home, and I'm going to get myself and my team to a first NBA final in forever. For he, the first time in his 16-year career, and the Suns for the first time in 28 years. And what you saw there was an epic performance by a 36-year-old in where he scored 41 points. He also seemed to make every big shot, hit every three-pointer, His patented shot at the elbow, which we've seen time after time over the last several years. And the Phoenix Suns, who would have thought, and I've said this time after time, and I'm not going to beat the pulp out of this coconut, but for the Suns to do what they've done throughout the course of the season and even into the postseason, they need to be commended for everything that they've had to endure here. And not to say that it was tough sledding. Remember, they were down two games to one against the Lakers, but when Anthony Davis going out in game four, it pretty much set the stage for the Suns not only just to win this series, but then to go on to sweep the Denver Nuggets and the MVP of the league and a one Nikola Jokic, and then the LA Clippers without Kawhi Leonard being able to beat them four games to two and to move on to an NBA final. And for the, not going to say the Suns hater, but for those who think that they don't deserve to be there, and they could look at the Lakers series and say if they had a healthy Anthony Davis, they wouldn't have won that series. Or they could have looked at this past series with Kawhi Leonard being out and not being in the lineup. People could say that the Clippers probably had a better chance not only to be competitive, but also to beat the Suns. And yes, can you put up that argument? Absolutely. But we're never going to know or find out. So it's a moot point to even discuss whether or not the Suns would have made it, let alone past the first round, but even through the conference finals to where they're now getting ready to play a game one in their building to start off the NBA finals tomorrow night. And when we look at game six and even with the Clippers hanging in there and making a run of their own to where they cut it to five late in the third quarter before Paul took it upon himself to take them home with that wonderful performance that you saw there the other night. And everything that happened afterwards with the Patrick Beverly push, which was beyond Bush League and certainly uncalled for. He did apologize to that afterwards that the emotions got the best of him. The league handed down a one-game suspension going into next year. So whenever he's ready to start off the 2021-2022 season, he's going to be on the sidelines or probably not even in the building for that matter. Patrick Beverly, the guy has a ton of heart. We know about his story, his upbringing, Chicago, journey to the league, etc. But it's in one ear and out the other with that guy. And I understand that Chris Paul gave him that stare and that look. And that pretty much triggered Beverly to do what he did. And all you could say is that he's the type of guy that if he's on your team, you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have your moments with him where he's going to bring that intensity. He's going to bring that passion. But at the same time, He could also implode in that big spot or implode in any spot for that matter. And you saw that 
Wednesday night in the fourth quarter of that game against the Suns. So with that aside, the top storyline here is going to be centered around Chris Paul. And I haven't been a big fan of this guy over the years. I know that he's a Hall of Fame talent. I know he's a guy that's had a tremendous career. He's the last of a dying breed when it comes to being that point guard to facilitate, not be shoot first, although he can be a shoot first guy when he knows he has to drag his team through the fire or put a spark under the rest of the guys. We've seen that. Now, the one thing about Chris Paul that I think he gets a lot too much credit, I think, or maybe gets treated as a guy that's not the transcendent star of the league. You know, he's not LeBron James. He's not Stephen Curry. He's not a guy of that ilk where people are going to run to the sets to go see this guy finally win a championship. And I understand that may not be a popular opinion amongst a lot of people because Chris Paul is revered as a guy being 16 years in the league, being the president of the Players Association, the guy that so many people not only look to for guidance and a guy that also is a leader, not only by example, but in the locker room, etc. But when you look at the career and the trajectory of a one Chris Paul, this is his one shining moment. Because when you look at the previous 15 years, Yes, he's had success in this league. Yes, he's been an all-star. Yes, he's been on all-NBA teams. But most of his performances, especially when it comes to the postseason, have been on the negative side. Now, we understand that everybody cannot make it to the NBA Finals like LeBron James has had 10 times over the course of his career. Or somebody who's made multiple trips to the Finals, a la Kawhi Leonard. But with Paul, the narrative is, is for a guy who has so much clout in the league, but has come up small in all these big spots. And I've mentioned this time after time after time again. You can check all the receipts and go back to all the podcasts that discuss his playoff foibles. And I mentioned this last week, the week before. And I don't want to rain on his parade because it's about right now. It's not about his past. But my point in saying all this is that here's a guy who is revered throughout the league, but he's not that type of guy where he's going to be ranked among the greats of this generation now we understand Stephen Curry is not the point guard equivalent to a one Chris Paul as I said before the way he leads the way he's more of a facilitator distributor yes he is going to get his shots but we all know Steph Curry is the type of guy where he'll cross midcourt and he's going to be chucking and bombing but for me And I understand a lot of people may look at it and say, Jay Reels, you're crazy. This guy is an all-time great. This guy belongs up there. But when we look at point guards throughout the course of NBA history, he's a guy that's going to fall somewhere at the bottom between 5 and 10 and not necessarily be a top 5 guy. And I could talk about this more after the finals to get even a better perspective because let's see him win one first before we could rank him. But we understand Everybody being prisoners of the moment. Everybody has to look at his career and say, how does this stack up against the Isaiah Thomases of the world? How does this stack up against the Bob Cousy's of the world? How does this stack up against Walt Frazier? How does this stack up against Magic Johnson? And go on down the list. Steve Nash, John Stockton, etc. So when I bring up those names, Chris Paul, of course, is going to fall somewhere between 6 and 10 and not necessarily in the top 5. Now, I understand that if he wins a championship, he'll probably be catapulted above John Stockton. 
And I didn't even mention Jason Kidd. He's another guy, top point guard of all time. So I'm going to reserve that for then. I bring this up now because I want to plant that little seed. So when we get to, not necessarily next week, because by the time we get to next Monday, we'll have, what, three games in the books? So we still have the rest of the series to go. But by the following Monday, we'll have an idea as to this series being over, if Phoenix comes out on top, and then we could really take a look and say, all right, where does Chris Paul rank among the all-time greats? Now, is he an all-time great as it is right now? Absolutely. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, no question. But for me personally, he's not a guy that I'm going to look at and say, oh, wow, he has to walk out with a championship because he is one of the top few guys over the last 20 years that has that type of attention or is going to warrant that type of spotlight for him to be that transcendent figure throughout the league. Yes, maybe amongst his peers, But for the people like myself, the fans, and the like, I don't see that. And again, that's not a knock. It goes back to the whole Hall of Fame thing when I talked about Chris Webber weeks ago about how he's making it to the Hall of Fame. And we understand that that's a whole different argument in a sense where it seems like everybody gets into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. But in my eyes, Chris Webber's not a Hall of Famer. And it's not a knock. But I'm getting off topic here. We'll see how this series unfolds. This is obviously going to be his stage. He's the elder statesman. He's the guy that everybody's going to look to to see if he could deliver that championship, not only for himself, but also for the city of Phoenix. As we know, the Suns have never won an NBA title. So that's the main storyline. And of course, I wanted to get that off and running as far as the Chris Paul angle. Now, as far as the Milwaukee Bucks, we know that in game four, the... Big story there was Giannis Antetokounmpo leaving the game there with a hyperextended knee. Certainly looked worse than what it was. But it's good to know that, granted, he's day-to-day. And even though it was great to see him on the sidelines there in uniform, it's not as if he's in street clothes or he's sitting up in a luxury box there just idling by and away from his teammates. But when you look at these last couple of games where the Bucks were led by Chris Middleton as well as Drew Holiday, and especially Holiday, because in both games five and six, he had tremendous outputs to where he put up 25 points, 13 assists, and also in the finale, put up 27 points of his own. Chris Middleton had that 16-0 personal run there in the third quarter, which pretty much blew the game open for the Bucks, and then he had 23 in the quarter. Middleton is a guy, he's one of those guys that are puzzling, because from one game to the next, he could look like an all-NBA player, and then the next game, he's Claude Rains. And that reference goes to the Invisible Man about 70 years ago. And that's not a knock on Middleton. It's true that what we've seen here from time to time where he'll have that big game as we saw game six against the Nets where he went for 38 points and then also hit some big shots in that game seven. But you'd like to see more consistency from a guy who's your number two player and especially with your number one out in a one Attentacampo He's a guy that's going to have to carry the load here and bring his team home, and that's what he did. Now, we can't forget what Brooke Lopez did also in game five with 33 points, and a lot of that was down low. It wasn't even from the three-point line from the perimeter where we see Lopez more often than not. Bobby Porter's Jr., in the absence of Giannis, was able to contribute with 22 points in that game five and has done an admirable job with him being out. And the Bucks played like a team, 
They put the Hawks to bed and put them to sleep for this year. And we understand that Trey Young did not play in that game four where the Hawks did win 110-88 and even the series. And it gave it a little bit of juice because not knowing what the status of both Trey Young and Giannis Antetokounmpo were going to be, it was almost an even playing field because you had each star from each team out and it was a matter of who was going to duke it out to see who was going to go to the NBA final. And as you saw, the better team won where you had Middleton step up, Holiday step up, Lopez step up. And on the flip side, John Collins did not play well. The kid Kevin Herter, who was great in that game seven against the Sixers, was out to lunch and did not play well in the final couple of games. Clint Capel is a guy who's going to be around the rim and play defense. He's not going to contribute too much on the offensive side. Bogdanovich gave you some production there in game six, but we know he was hobbling. And the Hawks give him all the credit in the world. Nobody expected this run to go this far or this deep. It did. It's one to build for next year. But right now, it's all about the Bucks and what they've done here. And give them all the credit in the world. They were down three games to two to the Brooklyn Nets. And granted, there was no Kyrie and a James Harden that was on one leg. But they did what they had to do. And here they are in the NBA Finals for the first time in an eternity. You have to go back to 1974 when they played the Boston Celtics. And we know about the one title that they won back in 71 where Lou Alcindor, everybody knows him as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, won that title in 71 against the Baltimore Bullets. And now they have an opportunity after everything that's transpired the last two years, having the top seed in the East both years, having the MVP of the league both years, Up 2-0 against Toronto, losing four straight to where Toronto goes on to the finals and wins it. Last year, down 0-3 to the Miami Heat, a team that nobody saw their success coming that, I was going to say spring, but as we all know, it was late summer into the fall. And how the Heat disposed of them in five games. And then this year, with the Nets and all of their pomp and circumstance and Philadelphia, where Joel Embiid was a front-running candidate for the MVP, it was the Bucks that was laying in the weeds And they bounce back to not only sweeping the Heat in the first round, the aforementioned seven-game series victory against the Nets, and then now here against the Hawks, which should make for a very interesting NBA final. But the status of Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be enormous here because the Suns go into the series as the favorite, and rightfully so, a solid favorite, not a huge favorite. And the one thing that the... Bucks have on their side is that they've been through the rigors over the last three years. Now, when you look at the talent, especially with the Bucks minus Giannis, it does favor the Suns because you have Chris Paul and everything that I mentioned about him, Devin Booker, and what he's capable of doing on a basketball floor, DeAndre Ayton, who's had a very good postseason, and you have your supplemental pieces, the Cameron Paynes of the world, the Jay Crowders, who knows what it's like to play in the playoffs and we've seen him do it time after time. Not necessarily be successful, but he has the experience. And with the Bucks, although the last few years have been trying and they've been able to gain a ton of experience, but without having Giannis Antetokounmpo there, it's going to be tough for them to try to get to that pinnacle, to get to the top, to win that first title in 50 years. And who knows what's going to be the status of Giannis heading into tomorrow night. 
I'm sure he's going to probably give it a go during warmups. My thing with him is going to be more mental and psychological because physically we know how gifted he is, but is he going to favor that leg? Is he going to play at half speed? Is that going to be in the back of his mind that if he leaps up and whether or not he lands a certain way, is that going to limit him as far as his explosiveness around the rim and up and down the court as we know how deadly he could be to opposing defenses? I can't answer that. And I wish I could because you want to see both teams at full strength. And we know that the journey the Bucks have been the last two years and now to not have their best player for possibly game one, game two, game three, I don't know. If we knew for sure that he was going to come back at any point of the series, anywhere in the first three games. Because even if the Bucks go down 0-2 in the series, at least they're going back home to Milwaukee. And if we know for sure that Giannis is going to be close to, if not 100%, in that game, ready to start and show and prove, then I could say, all right, knowing that there's going to be that part of the series where the game's going to be at home, they have a shot to get back in the series and maybe even win it. But not knowing the answer to that question, it's all up in the air. So for me, I'm going to have to choose Phoenix and six because with Giannis out, I can't say the Bucs are going to win this series. Now, I want to root for the Bucs and I would like to see them get over the hump especially with what they've been through here the last couple of years. To me, I'm not all into the Chris Paul saga. I could care less. And I talked about it before, and I'll say real quick, I've never been a big Chris Paul fan. I know what he's capable of doing. I've seen, I, and I love his competitiveness. I love all that. But to me, some of the stuff that you see from Chris Paul over the years, and right, I understand it was his moment there Wednesday night, but him trying to egg on Patrick Beverly by just staring at him or just him pumping his chest and whatever. I get that he's exuberant and he's finally made it. He's going to be in the finals, etc. But you've been in the league a long time and I understand you want to act like you've been there before and this is the first time he's going to be there. So he's letting it all out, the 16 years of frustration and finally getting to that finals perch. But at the same time, he could have been a little bit more professional about it. That's just me. So I'm rooting for the Bucks to win, but the uncertainty of Giannis, I have to pick the Suns in six. And when we look at some of the storylines here, I know the first one, and this is eons ago, so not many people are going to remember this, but when the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks had an opportunity to draft Lou Alcindor back in 1969, it came down to a coin flip. And that coin flip, of course, was won by the Bucks, who had the rights to the number one pick in which they chose Lou Alcindor and... The rest is history. So you have that interesting subplot there only because the Bucks did win that title two years afterwards, but we know that Kareem was then dealt to the Lakers five years after that. And the Bucks have been nowhere near an NBA final since his departure. And I've talked about the Suns' plight over the years. They didn't make the playoffs the last 10 years. We know about 93, the Barkley team losing to Jordan's Bulls and 76 losing to the Celtics. So now you have both of these teams here And the first thing you think of is that it's a new matchup. It's not the same old names. It's not the same old teams. You're not seeing the Lakers. You're not seeing the Cavaliers. You're not seeing the Warriors. You're not seeing the Miami Heat. No LeBron. No Stephen Curry. All those participants and all those particulars are gone. Now you have two franchises who haven't been here in eons. And you have two interesting storylines from the players that I mentioned. One 
we won't know about until the series starts in, of course, Giannis and obviously Chris Paul. But will people sink their teeth into this matchup, knowing that it's new, knowing that it's different, knowing that it's fresh? Or the casual sports fan may not tune in because Milwaukee and Phoenix, because they're used to seeing the Lakers, they're used to seeing Golden State, they're used to seeing some of these other teams that they won't even give it five minutes, let alone a second of their attention. I would think a different matchup may pose for a few more people to go ahead and watch because maybe they want to be familiar with both of these teams. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But I would think for the diehard or the basketball fan, they will certainly watch. And the casual fan, I would think they would just stay away. They were probably looking at this, oh wait, the NBA Finals are starting? So we'll have to wait and see if there's going to be any juice to the series. And I would think if Milwaukee does steal a game in Phoenix, you'd want to have that as opposed to being up 2-0. I think in any series. I don't care if you have the Lakers and Celtics in 1984. If you had one team that's up 2-0, of course the interest is not going to be as high as it would be as if the road team were to win two games on the road and even that I would think would be a detriment because then that means they'll have the two games at home going back or if you have a scenario where it's 1-1 and then you have some intrigue where the road team now has to win a game in the other team's building just to bring it back to not only a game 5 where it could be even but also not be down 3-1 if the Bucks are able to take home court and push the Suns to the brink which I don't think will happen. You also have the... And then I think the other matchup that a lot of people will keep their eyes on will be Drew Holiday versus Chris Paul. We know how great of a defensive player Drew Holiday is going to be. And you would also think he's going to guard Devin Booker depending on how much he gets off in this series. I would think that's going to be a tall order for Holiday. And that's one that's going to really be under the spotlight because when you have a guy of that ilk to play defensively, not only against an all-time great point guard, but also a great shooter and player like Devin Booker is, who knows how much tread is going to be off of that tire as the series gets longer, especially if these two players are going to have big series. So that's another thing we have to keep our eyes on as far as the series goes. But I think it's going to be Chris Paul's time, especially if we don't see Giannis in the lineup. So again, I'm picking the Suns in six. And one thing I didn't discuss last week was the NBA draft lottery. I know that the Pistons will have the number one pick overall, followed by Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, and Orlando. Now, Orlando actually has two picks in the first eight. They have the fifth and also the eighth pick because of the Nikola Vucevic trade with the Bulls. So they'll have an opportunity to get two impact picks. Obviously, we don't know who the cast of characters are going to be. We know about the kid from Gonzaga and Jalen Suggs. We also know about Cade Cunningham, who will likely be the first-round pick of the draft. He of Oklahoma State. And I believe the draft is July the 29th. So for those who are gearing up for an NBA draft and how that is all going to shake down, I don't have a finger on the pulse. We'll talk about it when we get to it the week of. So for those that were wondering, oh, Jay Reels, what do you think about the draft lottery coming up and the Pistons getting number one pick? Well, there you go. The Pistons will have an opportunity to draft Cunningham, Suggs, whomever else, 
and we'll get into that down the road as we get closer to the NBA draft. All right, now let's turn our attention to the ice as tonight could be the final NHL game of the season and, of course, of the playoffs. And here's all you need to know about the series in a nutshell between Montreal and Tampa. This is comparable to the Cinderella team in the tournament to where the small school that's ranked, let's say, 12th in their bracket or even lower for that matter, that they go on this majestic, magical run to the Final Four and then they play against the one seed in the Final Four and not only do they show that they do not belong on the same court, but also show that they're not in the same league. And that's what you've seen here in these first three games between the Canadians and Lightning. Now, I said this last week, this was going to be a David versus Goliath matchup. I talked ad infinitum about the Canadians being a team that lost five straight games heading into the playoffs, 59 points, which was ranked dead last of all the playoff teams. I understand that they've been on a magic carpet ride. Who knows if the ghosts of Canadians past have come to rear its lovely heads to beat Toronto in that series where they were down three games to one. Sweep Winnipeg 4-0 to the conference semifinals to where they beat the Las Vegas Golden Knights to now having an opportunity to possibly get the 25th Stanley Cup in their franchise's glorious history. And all they've done is fall flat on their face to where game one, they were outclassed and outmaneuvered, which was no surprise there. Too much firepower by the Lightning to where Nikita Kucherov had two goals, is the third player in league history to have at least 30 points in the playoffs. Only Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux have done that. And to think he's actually done that in consecutive years. Here's a guy who didn't even play in the regular season. Kucherov, I believe, had hip surgery. And he had a huge game one. All right, Canadians were out of sync. Did not play well. You chalk it up. Okay, fine. Game two, the goal that's going to just not only break the back of the series, but it's going to haunt the Canadians all rest of the summer and into the fall is at 1-1 at the final second of the second period where Blake Coleman, who nobody's going to be confused with Luke Robitaille or one of the top goal scorers in league history, had a goal that's going to be in Tampa lore where he literally lunged and swatted the puck out across from a pass. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Tyler Johnson, but swatted the pass Tipped past the goaltender in Carey Price with literally point, however many seconds left of the second period for the Lightning to take a 2-1 lead. And then they just pour it on there in the third period. Just terrible turnovers and lapses by the Canadian defense. And Carey Price, who a lot of people thought could maybe match talent with the one Andre Vasilevsky, the goalie of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'll get to Price in a second. So they lose 4-2 to two in game number two. And then all you got to do is look at what happened there Friday night to where the Canadians, just a few minutes right into the game, they scored two goals. The Lightning, that is, where Victor Hedman had a shot from the point. And then Tyler Johnson, when you're down 2 nothing within the first five minutes of the first period of a game where you absolutely have to have It just looked the life out of the building. You had more fans up at the Bell Center, whereas we know the restrictions are starting to loosen up there in Canada. Not full houses, but even with the Canadian faithful up there, before they could even finish their pretzel and their beer, they're down 0-2, and I'm sure they're saying to themselves, 
we're not going to be long for the series. And then, obviously, after that, where the Canadians tried to inch back, but it was full control by the Lightning to where Carey Price has been awful in the series. He's just given up bad goal after bad goal. The first goal of the game actually was Jan Ruda. I know I mentioned Tyler Johnson. He did have two goals in the game. But Ruda had the first goal, which was a screen, but it went past the blocker of Carey Price into the top part of the net. And you knew pretty much from there it was going to be tough sledding for the Canadians. And as you look at it right now, do they have any chance to win this game tonight? Game four in their building. Carey Price, he has to stand on his head and then some in order for them to get back to Tampa to extend the series. I would think the Lightning are going to close this out in four. They don't want to have any thoughts about going back to Tampa other than to celebrate a parade that they didn't really have last year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, think about it. With COVID in the height of the summer and pretty much into the fall because that was their championship, I believe, was in late September. But they don't want to mess around. They want to close this sucker out tonight. And I understand that the mayor of Tampa and a one Jane Castor has suggested to the Lightning players to let the Canadians win this game so they could come down have the game in their building at game five and the coronation will begin to where they could celebrate at home in front of their fans and get that second Stanley Cup. And when I read that, all I said to myself was, that is just a typical response of somebody who has no sense or even an iota of winning a championship. That is just a bandwagon thing to say. Anything just to get the fans riled up. And you know the players, they probably just laughed at that and looked at it as like, oh, please, she doesn't know what she's talking about. We want to ice this sucker here. It's been a long, grueling season. Playoff year, in the bubble, up in uh, Montreal right now. So even though they're going to depart after the game, win or lose tonight as it is, but they want to come home with that trophy and not have to deal with having to lace up the skates, play another game, and who knows, potentially lose a game to where they have to go back up to Montreal. So I think she's crazy for saying that. I understand that, hey, you want to have the celebration down here in front of your fans considering last year was in the bubble up in Edmonton? Okay, but please, that's in one ear, not the other. So Tampa is looking for the final nail and pretty much the one question that you have is does Andre Vasilevsky clinch another series with a shutout here? I'm sure that's going to be the talk in the locker room. I'm sure the team is going to try to do that because... Think about this, going back to the cup final last year where they shut out the Dallas Stars, he also shut out the Panthers in the first round, shut out the Hurricanes in the second round, and in a game seven against the Islanders, shut them out as well. So he's on the verge of going for five straight, and I believe he already has the record of three straight, four straight now with the Islanders series, so this would actually be five. And to do it in one playoff, I and mean, what does it say about him? What does it say about the team? As I said last week with the Islander series, their defense is very underrated. I think it's more of a product of their defense. That's not to say Vasilevsky's not a great goaltender. Obviously, he is. But he can be beat. And, of course, any goalie can be beat. But what my point is, is that I think it's more of a product of their system as it is the goalie. I understand he had 40 saves in Game 2. But at the same time, a lot of those saves were they of top quality In the Islanders series, the Islanders didn't have a lot of quality chances. You got to credit that to their defense. 
And Vasilevsky, who knows if he's going to go out with a shutout. I'm not going to predict whether or not he will. You figure that it's going to come to an end at some point, but I think that they will win the cup tonight. He'll probably give up a goal, but Tampa will prevail and win their second straight. And of course, I'm a fool for thinking that Montreal, considering all that they've done in this postseason, actually had a shot to beat Tampa. And I understand this was more, not even thinking with my head, this was more of my heart because I looked at the Canadians and their history. Granted that they don't have any of the players of yesteryear, as I've mentioned in podcasts past, but I thought that they at least be in the series and they haven't even shown that. But I knew that if my head was on the chopping block, if my life depended on it, if you would have asked me before the start of the series, who's going to win? And I said this last week, Tampa's going to win the series. But I'm sick of Tampa. I'm sick of looking at their team. I'm sick of looking at those jerseys. I just thought the little Canadian magic that they had was going to be enough to maybe push them to six games, to have a game in their building to where they could have another Stanley Cup celebration. But was I way off on that? But again, that's what happens when you don't think with your head and you go with your heart. So... The Lightning, I would think tonight is going to be it. I'd be shocked if the Canadians win this game. And uh, we'll see how that unfolds come tonight up in the Bell Center in Montreal. And one last thing. This will actually be the first sweep of a Stanley Cup final in 23 years. I think about that. Usually you get those occasional sweeps or every few years you're going to get a team that's dominant that's just going to go ahead and sweep another team. But the last time you saw a sweep in the Stanley Cup Finals was the 97-98 season where the Red Wings took care of the Washington Capitals. And that closed out a streak of four consecutive Stanley Cup Final sweeps. So I guess the hockey gods said, all right, we gave you four straight sweeps, starting with the 95 Devils over the Red Wings, the 96 Avalanche over the Florida Panthers, the 97 Red Wings over the Philadelphia Flyers, and then, of course, the aforementioned series against the Capitals. To where now, 23 years later, you have an opportunity for the Lightning to sweep a Stanley Cup series here. And it made me think, in the other sports, NBA, the last time we saw a sweep was the 2018 Warriors just three years ago when they swept LeBron and the Cavs into the offseason. And in baseball, the 2012 San Francisco Giants sweeping the Detroit Tigers. So it's been almost 10 years in baseball and just three years ago in the NBA. And that was, of course, the famous series, the famous game one, the J.R. Smith game, if you recall, where LeBron had 51 points and was heroic in the game, but had nothing to show for it, lost the game, and then got swept out of the series, which was the back-to-back by the Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and also Klay Thompson, Golden State Warriors. And for the few of those who have been paying attention, I know Connor McDavid won the MVP of the league unanimously, only the second time in league history. The other time was, I believe, the 81-82 season by Wayne Gretzky. And how could you argue that one? That was the year where he scored 92 goals and only 212 points. So McDavid, as we've said time after time on this podcast, the guy who is that transcendent, who is the guy who's going to be the torch or the face of the league, I understand he plays in Canada. He's not in Pittsburgh like Sidney Crosby has been. And the sport is only followed mostly by the diehard and the good hockey fan. The average person or even the casual sports fan, if Connor McDavid stood in front of you with an Edmonton Oilers jersey, you wouldn't be able to pick him out. But it had to be brought up only because he's the second guy in league history. And we know the 
history of the league, the Gordie Howes, Bobby Orr's, you go through all the great players of the league, not even them were unanimous. Only Wayne Gretzky and now Connor McDavid. So I thought I'd throw that in there. All right, now let's turn our attention to some baseball. And the Dodgers have finally awoken from their slumber over the past two months. Remember, they got off to that 13-2 and start. They looked like they had zero hangover from last year's 60-game sprint. The postseason, obviously, the 4-2 series win over the Tampa Bay Rays. And now they've certainly gotten back on the beam to where they've won eight straight. They swept the Nationals in the nation's capital over the weekend. A team that was actually playing well and looked like they were trending northward in the National League East, getting closer to the Mets. Well, the Dodgers just smacked them around for four days to now where they won eight straight. They've now drawn even with the San Francisco Giants. I believe the Giants are percentage points ahead of the Dodgers in the NL West. But the big story coming out of Southern California this past week, and no, it's not Shohei Otani, and I'll get to him in a little bit. But it's this developing story with the former Cy Young, or I should say the reigning Cy Young in Trevor Bauer and the allegations that have come out with the sexual assault which took place a couple of months ago with a woman that he had met. And I tell you, the details of this are sordid and not that I'm going to break it down or get into anything in particular, but for whatever the reason, it seemed like As consensual as it was, and I believe it was admitted from the woman whose name has not been identified as of yet, had admitted that the sex was consensual and that some of the things that took place in the bedroom were agreed upon, but it was Bauer who took it not only over the line, but overboard when it comes to some of the graphic details of this encounter. I believe there was more than one, but... With the one particular encounter, whether it was her being punched in the face by him or being choked aggressively to where she had to put out a restraining order on Bauer. And I believe there were a bunch of text messages exchanged and that's what's being looked upon right now where Major League Baseball has put him on administrative leave and I believe it expires on Tuesday. But here's the issue that I have. And we know the union is going to do whatever it takes We know how powerful the union is, and I'll get to them in a second, but for the Dodgers to kind of willy-nilly this from the outset to where Dave Roberts was going to have Bauer pitch in yesterday's game, and he was scheduled to pitch yesterday's game in Washington, but because Major League Baseball stepped in and put him on this administrative leave, obviously he wasn't going to perform. But for the Dodgers to not do anything here, whether it's the manager, who we all know is a puppet and a one Dave Roberts, I got nothing against the guy, but he felt as if, well, I'm not going to do anything unless Major League Baseball says something. Well, when these details come out, and if the woman's putting out a restraining order, don't you think internally you would say, Trevor, what the hell's going on here before this goes on to the court? And at the same time, say that, hey, we're going to have to put you on an indefinite not suspension because he's going to get paid, but he's going to be on indefinite leave until this thing gets ironed out. And obviously there's going to be a criminal case to where who knows what his future may lie and it could possibly be in jeopardy here. So I don't understand why the Dodgers, and I get they're going to try to do its best behind its player, understood they're not going to just throw him to the wolves, but at the same time, they could have taken action before Major League Baseball. And to me, that was a discredit because if you or I were in that scenario we would probably be out of a job. And I understand 
we're not high profile people. We're not athletes. We're not in the limelight. We're not in the spotlight. And chances are, we would be tossed aside and somebody else would come right in. And then we would have to go through the mess and the muck and the carnage of the aftermath of something like that. And again, we don't know all the details. I wasn't there. I can't say that I was obviously between them. But for the Dodgers to not do anything was a disgrace because they had to put him on ice and put him to the back burner as quick as possible and not let Major League Baseball do it. But now that Major League Baseball has done it and this is going through the process and I'm sure a lot can't be said right now because it's going to be in litigation. It's going to be fascinating to see how Major League Baseball is going to come out of this because if there are any implications and chances are, who knows? It may get to a point where the criminal case it may not even go as far and it's going to end up being a civil suit and it's going to be money exchange. We know the whole deal. We've been down this road and we've seen it a thousand times. Does it make it right? Absolutely not because we weren't there and we don't know how this is going to unfold when it comes to everything that transpired between this woman and Trevor Bauer. So who knows if this is a money grab? Who knows if this is actually true? We'll hopefully wait to see as time goes on. And even though people could say, well, Jay Reels, this is none of your business. What does this have to do with you? So on and so forth. Well, yes, you're right. It's none of my business. But now that it's public knowledge and it has to be brought to light considering the world that we live in today and for a guy who, let's face it, the guy's a clown. He's a sycophant. He's a guy, is a me guy. It's all about his attention. It's all about him with his Twitter feeds and trying to ruffle feathers with other people. We've seen that time after time. And then now with the whole spin rate deal and how he's been pretty much I'm not going to say he's been an average pitcher since then with the crackdown of all the sticky stuff and the substances that have been banned by Major League Baseball, but he has come back down to earth as from an elite pitcher to just a good pitcher. And this is a guy who is the highest paid player in the sport by annual salary. The guy's making $40 million this year and $40 million next year. And it was smart for the Dodgers to not give this guy a five-year, $200 million deal because what happens if he's convicted in a court of law? Is he still going to get his money? Are there any provisions in the contract that say that it could be terminated based on particular behaviors? Now, I'm sure they weren't expecting this type of behavior. But are there, not necessarily incentives, but are there clauses in the contract that they could terminate at any point based on something that is self-inflicted and which in this scenario it looks like it possibly could be and how this is all going to shake down especially in a year that Major League Baseball is heading to an Armageddon that the players and Major League Baseball are like oil and water and with all the issues that are happening with baseball this year and I'm going to get to that also especially with these double headers you have to wonder whether or not Either Bauer's going to skate free and how that's going to affect not only just the fan or maybe even the Dodger fan for that matter and how that's going to ruffle society or whether they laid a smackdown on him and what that's going to mean for his future in baseball. And this isn't a low profile guy. As I've said just a few minutes ago, it's a guy who's won a Cy Young. It's a guy who is looking for all the attention he could possibly get. Now, this is one that I'm sure he didn't see forthcoming, but at the same time, I hate to use this, but 
he's now lying in his bed. He's got to make it. And I'm glad that the Mets didn't sign this guy. Check the receipts on that. I did not want this guy here because I thought he would be a distraction. Not to this magnitude. But knowing that Jake is the best pitcher in baseball and he would go in thinking that he's better than Jacob DeGrom and whatever. And man, was that a relief that he is not a part of the Mets. Because could you imagine if this happened right here in this city with these fans, expectations, etc.? They would have chewed him up and spit him out 6,000 times over by now. Whether he's innocent or not, you know how New Yorkers could be. So thankfully, they don't have to deal with that. But this is one to be seen. And one last thing on this before I move on to other stuff and more important things. This story hasn't gotten a lot of attention. And you would think something like this with this type of player. All right, granted, he's a pitcher. He's not an everyday player. You know, it's not as if you had a former MVP or a guy who is even more in a spotlight. And I'm not going to throw names in here. You could insert any guy you want to put in there. So a lot of people don't know who Trevor Bauer is if you walk down the street wearing his Dodger uniform. Understood. But at the same time, the guy does have some clout in the, in the sport. But this has gotten, I feel, zero attention. Could you imagine if this was a star quarterback in the NFL? Or if this was a point guard or a top all-NBA player? In basketball, this thing would be round the clock, 24-7 news. This would be nonstop. But baseball gets very little pub. It gets very little attention. And we've seen it time after time with these networks and the shows. It's all about football and it's all about basketball. Nobody cares about any of the other sports. And you know what me, I'm talking about it all. And if that's where it's going to be even more fascinating because... Not to say that the news will sweep this under the rug either way, and I'm not going to predict that. But you damn well know that if this was a guy who was one of the stars of the NFL or NBA, this would be nonstop. And because it's not getting the pub that it should deserve and that it should be put to the forefront considering the climate of how this country has been over the years... And I don't want to hear about cancel culture people. It has nothing to do with that. But we're trying to be good here. We're trying to be right. We want to get it right. You know, and when we hear these stories like this time after time, and I'm not even going to get into the whole Bill Cosby thing and whatever because he just recently released out of prison. I'm sure there was a faction of people that said, what a disgrace. This is my point. Now do you have a high-profile athlete here and knowing that this hasn't been bubbling or been brought to the surface the way it should be, Unlike the other leagues, not only does it speak volumes about baseball, but it also speaks volume about the attention that particular sports get one more than the other. As you got a siren going on in the background, that's New York for you. And we understand that there's no video proof of this. It's not like the Ray Rice or the Kareem Hunt situations that you had of years past where once you have this on camera, it's forever. And obviously, this was in the privacy of, I believe, Bauer's home. So because you haven't seen it or you haven't viewed this and watched with your own eyes, it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other. Or it kind of goes, oh, really? Oh, okay, whatever. But I'm fascinated to see how this is going to be handled and how this is going to move forward. So I just thought I'd put that out there because I believe it deserves the attention considering who he is and the sport that he plays and that it should be and garner as much attention as football and as basketball 
And that's my point overall. The other big story I want to talk about here in baseball, especially over the last week and change, is the Yankees. And I get that people are going to be, oh, Jay Reels has to be salivating right now. He's licking his chops. He's getting ready to go in. And I'm going to go in. You know that. I have to. And there's going to be no tears shed on my part. And I'm not going to beat up on a bunch of old coconuts here. But at the same time, for a team that after 83 games is one game over 500, that had a week from hell, when you look at, back at the week that was for the Yankees, where Shohei Otani and the Angels, and don't worry, I didn't forget about him, come into the picture and put a hurting on the Yankees to where Otani hits three home runs. They split the first two games. Otani pitches in the third game to where why Aaron Judge is not in the lineup is beyond me. It's a disgrace upon disgraces, and I don't want to hear about analytics, and I don't want to hear about, oh, the matchup didn't bode well. Otani's never pitched against the Yankees. Well, I think that's a lie. I think he pitched against them once years ago, but still, you want to put your best lineup out there. What are you putting Judge on the bench for? It makes no sense. But then Otani gives up seven runs in two-thirds of an inning, and then with a two-hour and 20-minute rain delay to where the Yankees had an 8-4 lead, only to spit the bit with their closer and Aroldis Chapman, and don't worry, I'm going to get to him. So where the Yankees lose an 11-8 game, one in the morning on Wednesday night, they postpone the game on Thursday because of inclement weather that was headed in the area on Thursday afternoon, which never came. Yes, it rained from about 12 to maybe about 1-15. After that, there wasn't a raindrop to be found. The rest of the afternoon was quiet as far as precipitation goes. And the sun even showed at about 4 o'clock, although it was hazy, but the sun came out around 4 p.m. Thursday afternoon to where they could have gotten the game. But to me, the Yankees looked at that as like, well, we just had a game where it ended at 1 in the morning, a quick turnaround, let's just call the game off, mental health day. Aaron Judge had a players-only meeting, I believe it was after the game on Monday, and now everything is just falling apart for the Yankees. Hal Steinbrenner has to come with a little press conference. Even questioned about how his dad would throw his weight around. And even though you're not your dad, but don't you think that maybe something needs to come away from this, knowing that your team is underachieved this year and that you're 10 games behind the Red Sox? And Hal said the right things. I'm not my dad. And even with my dad back then, he did some moves and made some moves that you even have to question based on him just being upset and angry and not to say that everything he did was meant to be right. And okay, there's some truth to that. You know, trading for Raul Mondesi after I believe Enrique Wilson was in the outfield in that Met game back in 2004, I think it was. Well, maybe it was 2005. And we know George was the type of guy that he would hire and fire guys as fast as he took a deep breath. So now with all that being said, and then you get to the game Friday against the Mets where it was rained out. So now the Yankees had two days off. In the game on Saturday, the Mets had an 8 nothing lead before he could blink. And they meekly went into the latter part of the afternoon into the night, losing 8-3. to And then the first game yesterday, they had a 4-1 lead behind Garrett Cole. And Cole couldn't find his grip as he gets pulled after 3 and a thirds. The Mets come storming back to not only tie the game after being down 4-1 and 5-4. But then they take the lead and win 10-5. And then in the nightcap of the day-night doubleheader... The Mets down 3 nothing. Gio Rochelle hits a home run. They get two back from Pete Alonso, but they weren't able to tie or take the lead as the Yankees win the nightcap there and salvage the three-game set against the Mets. 
And I tell you, if they would have lost that game against the Mets, who knows what would have happened this morning in Yankee land. Now, let me get to a few particulars. Let's start with the doubleheaders. Now, the game was postponed Friday night and was part of a two-admission doubleheader, 2 p.m. game yesterday and then a 7 p.m. game. I can understand if it's a one-admission doubleheader game to where the Mets, as they've been playing a ton of these over the last few weeks, the last one being the Phillies two Fridays ago where they had a 4-10 start, back-to-back, your old-school doubleheader to where it's seven innings, that I can understand. But if you're going to have two separate admissions for these games and it's still going to be seven innings, Major League Baseball, they need to change that. And of course, they're not going to do that. It's collectively bargained. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, check the receipts. Now that the world is getting back, or at least this country is getting back to some normalcy, can we scrap the 10th inning rule? Can we also scrap these seven inning double headers? The reason being is because they want to get these games over with in the year 2020, not having a vaccine, not knowing what the status of these teams are going to be as far as protocols and breaking them and outbreaks as we saw with the Marlins last year as well as the Cardinals missing 17 days and 16 games whatever it was this is a new year we don't have to worry about that anymore can we scrap that of course collectively bargained I understand so you're not going to have that scenario but can we at least have the two admission same day double headers be nine innings please that's number one now let's run through the gamut here real quick Garrett Cole you wonder if he's just been a product of this sticky stuff because when you look at the game against the Red Sox last week to where he gave up four runs in the first inning and five runs in however many innings it was, the game yesterday, he had a 4-1 lead against the Mets. He can't take that game home. And it's a seven-inning game. So he couldn't give you six innings and maybe get the Chapman there to close out the game. He gives you three and a third, three runs, six hits, three walks, six strikeouts. And it makes you wonder. You have... Seven and a half more years of a guy that's making $325 million. And that's not to say he is not a top pitcher. He is arguably probably the second best pitcher in the sport. And I understand it's still a small sample with this whole spider tack sunscreen thing. We need to see a little bit more. Understood. Because Cole has had a couple of good starts without the stuff. But you have to wonder, as you get deeper into the summer when it's hot and the ball is slick, what is going to happen with this guy? Is he just going to be a good pitcher that the Yankees are paying for and not a great pitcher, an elite top two, three pitcher in the whole sport? That's number one. Number two, Chapman. Is he also a byproduct of this sticky stuff nonsense? The guy was unhittable the first month and a half of the season. Now the guys look mere mortal. Look at what he's done just in the past week. He gives up a grand slam homer to a lefty and a Jared Walsh, a guy that a lot of people couldn't pick out of a lineup, number one. Number two, and that's no offense to Walsh, but it's true. Number one, number two is a left-handed hitter where left-handed hitters do not hit home runs against Aroldis Chapman. And we saw that there in the ninth inning of that game. Look at the game yesterday against the Mets. 5-4, you need that game in the worst way to at least even the series. He gives up a home run to Pete Alonso on a hanging slider. So now you got to worry about Chapman's psyche moving forward for the rest of the season. As we know in the postseason, he implodes. So if you're a Yankee fan, if you have any aspirations to make it a postseason, that's the one guy you have to worry about in a big spot. We know about the lineup where it's right-handed hitting dominant. I'm not going to go down that road. But the other thing is too, and it was pointed out by one of the sports writers last week, this is not an athletic team. And I've seen it with my own eyes. This team is station to station. We understand there's not going to be hit and runs and sacrifices and things of that nature. Understood. The game is far along from what it once was in that regard. 
But you got to understand something. This team, look at Gleyber Torres. This guy is lost in space. This guy has three home runs. This guy had 40 home runs two years ago. What is going on with him? His shortstop got him that screwed up to where he can't even swing a bat anymore? The guy's batting 230. They're unathletic. They got guys that lumber throughout the bases. The Luke Voigt's of the world, and he hasn't really been hitting that well. DJ LeMay, who although he's been better, but he's batting 270. The guy was batting 360 last year, or whatever he was batting. It was an MVP candidate the last two years. Urshela, although he's a great glove, but he's not a guy that's going to be blazing up the base paths going from first to third. They're outfield. They have to put Brick Gardner out there. Why they brought him back, I don't know, but I understand that he's a luxury right now because they've been banged up in the outfield. That They have to put Miguel Andujar out there, and we understand that he's not Willie Mays in the outfield. Judge, we know, obviously, he's a very good athlete. Stanton is just a DH now. Sanchez is a disaster behind the plate. The team is just hard to watch. And I'm not trying to say you have to have nine strapping athletic players out there. Understood. But when you see the Ronald Acuna Juniors of the world, when you see the Fernando Tatis Juniors of the world, when you see guys that display their ability on both sides of the ball, at the batter's box and in the field, Yankees don't have players like that. And I'm not trying to say you have to have everyone in your lineup and everybody on the field that has to display the talents of those aforementioned guys. But that comes to a point where they, you can't look for the three-run homer all the time. And as it is, two-thirds of their home runs are solo shots. So what does that tell you about the team? And I haven't even got to the rotation. I haven't even got to the point that they may even buy or sell. And the reason why I say that, listen to their schedule for the rest of the month. They go to Seattle, which, all right, they're not world beaters, but Seattle actually has a winning record. So give it up to them. They go to Houston for the first time since the disaster there in Game 6 with Chapman and Altuve in 2019. And the Astros are playing well. Then they have the All-Star break. Now listen to this schedule after the All-Star break. They host four at home against the Red Sox who have not beaten at all this year, 0-6. They have the Phillies coming in for two. All right, they're hot and cold, hit or miss, but the Phillies aren't a pushover. They have to go to Boston for four games, again, 0-6, and then continue that road trip to Tampa for three games before they go to Miami to close out the month. Now, you tell me with the way this team is performing. Are there going to be any improvements here over the course of the next three weeks to where this team, I could see them selling more than buying? I could see that. Now, the thing is, who are they going to sell? You're lucky to get a bag of baseballs for Gary Sanchez right now. You're lucky to get anything back, and you'll get something back because he's got plenty of years left ahead of him. But Gleyber Torres, maybe you could get a starting pitcher of some ilk in return because Jameson Tyon, although he's pitched better, but he hasn't been anything to write home about. Corey Kluber is still on the shelf somewhere. Severino, you're not going to see again until next year. Domingo Herman, another guy who is hasn't been able to harness his talent and although showed signs early on, but he's another guy that's lost it. Jordan Montgomery, please. He's not going to have batters shaking in their boots in the batter's box. What's left? And Casman's afraid to pull the trigger on these deals because he feels as if, well, if they go onto greener pastures, they're going to flourish and they're going to blossom and then we're going to be stuck with either a bad contract or somebody who's not going to be as good or perform as well. It's the nature of the business there, Brian. You know more than anybody. So the Yankees right now, man, they are in a bind. And as I said this last week on Twitter with everything that transpired with this team, I said, watch them go out and beat the Mets to a pulp. Well, I was this close with them sweeping 
the Yankees. And boy, I would have been just ecstatic this morning. But that's all right. I'll take the two out of three. You know that. Sadly, I got to take one win against the Yankees just not to, not to be embarrassed and get swept. But Yankees, they just need to find their way. And they got to do it fast because that schedule upcoming does not bode well. And it certainly does make you wonder whether or not they're going to end up buying, which I don't even think, even if they do happen to make or cut this deficit in half, I don't think they're going to buy. They're going to go with this team. Yeah, they're going to bring in the guys like the Tim LaCastros of Arizona as they did last week, which obviously that's not going to thrill the Yankee fan by any stretch of the imagination. So that's what you got there with the Yankees. I mean, it's puzzling. It, it's, it really is. I, I'm shocked that they performed this way. And they have been performing this way. And will it continue? Who knows? But, man. Tough stretch here for the pinstripes. And we'll see how they perform. Now, I'm not going to get into the All-Star Reserves, people. I get that the game's a week from tomorrow. And I know all the rage is about Shohei Otani. And you saw what happened there at Yankee Stadium just uh, five nights ago to where... I don't know if he was shaking in his boots. I don't know if the atmosphere got to him. Who knows? But for him to two-thirds of an inning, seven runs, two hits, four walks, whatever it was, I mean, that was just a terrible display. And we know Otani with the bat has been lights out this year. He's now tied Hideki Matsui for the most home runs in a regular season by a Japanese-born player. He's easily going to surpass that. And he'll probably do that in the next couple of days. And Who knows? He may be pushing for 60 home runs at this pace. I don't even know what his pace is right now. I'm sure he's probably right about that. And he's having a magical season. But I need to see more of him on the mound before I could anoint this guy to be the next Babe Ruth. And we understand Babe Ruth was 100 years ago. And you can't compare anybody to Babe Ruth. Understood. And we know that the stories about, wow, the first all-star that's a two-way player here. Who knows if we're going to see him pitching an all-star game for an inning or for and out or whatever. To me, I could care less. But Otani is getting the pub he deserves, but he's getting it, for me, from an offensive standpoint and not from a pitching standpoint. Yes, he throws 100 miles an hour. Yes, he strikes out people, but he also walks the ballpark. And I need to see more of his pitching prowess match his offensive prowess before I could call this guy the next big phenomenon. So that's what I'll say about Otani. But the All-Star game, I can't get wrapped up in how many people... Or who got snubbed or whatever. I could care less. And I'm not going to get into that right now. And I understand maybe some people. Come on, Jay Real. It's the All-Star game. At the end of the day, who's are you going to care? The All-Star games over the years have been snooze fests. And they have not been exciting. Go look at the scores. A lot of these are 3-1, 4-2s. Uh, you're lucky to get a 9-8 type of game. And you haven't gotten that in eons. Look it up. But as we head into the final week before the All-Star break, the big matchup that we will look forward to is Houston. Not only do they have the Yankees coming into their building this weekend, but the A's will make a visit to Minute Maid Park as they are three and a half games, four in the loss behind the Astros in the AL West. As I said last week, the AL is starting to shape up as the obvious. Same for the National League for that matter because when you look at the Astros... Athletics, you think those are going to be the two teams that are going to come out as playoff teams in the American League. The White Sox now have a six-game lead over the Indians, and the Indians are now hitting the skids as they've, they've lost six in a row. And then the East, with the Red Sox in a little breathing room for in their own right, four games ahead of the Rays. Toronto, are they going to be hurt from this year? They may have their moments, but right now they're eight and a half games back. 
And the Yankees, we've talked about all of their transgressions here over the past 10 minutes. I don't see this being, unless there's a seismic turnaround here, this is going to be an American League race for wild cards, divisions, etc. that uh, may just be ho-hum. And when you look at the National League too, the East could have a little bit of intrigue. I know the Braves, five in the loss, as well as the Nationals and Phillies, they all have 42 losses behind the Mets who are in first place. And then the Giants and Dodgers, that's going to be a race to the end. As a matter of fact, I said percentage points. They're actually a half game ahead of the Dodgers. They are 53 and 30. The Dodgers are 53 and 31. And then you have the Padres four and a half back. And now the Brewers have distanced themselves from the Cubs and the Reds to where the Cubs have now lost nine in a row. And this was a Cub team that I thought was going to be under, I think their number was 79 and a half. And they were neck and neck with the Brewers. But you look at what happened last week. They had a 7-0 lead in the first inning. And then the Brewers scored 15 unanswered to win 15-7. And that's pretty much a microcosm in the last two weeks of how the Cubs have been. And they've been terrible on the road. So now the Brewers have put themselves in a comfortable position in the central. So right now you're going to look at whomever's going to come out of the east. So yeah, you still have to throw in the Braves, the Nationals, the Mets of course at the top. But your wildcard teams are going to come out of the NL West. So it's a matter of who's going to be the division winner to where they'll host the first round. And then you're going to have your wildcard game, either Padres, Dodgers, Giants, in not necessarily in that order, but in that mix. So baseball, as I said last week, and I hope this changes over the course of the next week and obviously deep into the summer, We may not have much to talk about here as we get into August and September. Unless one of these teams wake up or a couple of teams have a run in them to where they make things interesting in both the American League and National League. That's all there is to it. And speaking of the Brewers, they come to New York this week. They play the Mets here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So that's going to be an interesting test for the Mets here as Jacob DeGrom will pitch Tuesday. And you're not going to see DeGrom in the All-Star game. Because he's scheduled to also pitch Sunday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So you won't be able to see Jacob DeGrom toe the rubber to start for the National League. That's another reason why I can't get into this All-Star game. But yeah, Brewers-Mets this week, which is probably your top matchup here to start off the week in the National League. And of course, I talked about the A's and Astros will tussle it out for three games down in Houston starting tomorrow night. All right, now let's turn our attention to Wimbledon here, some tennis before I get to a couple of NFL things and then my hero and zero of the week. As for Wimbledon, what could you say? Talk about ho-hum. I mean, this has been a twiddle your thumbs, what's going to happen next type of tournament because when you had the injuries from last week, whether you're Serena Williams and had to withdraw from the tournament because she slipped on the Wimbledon court, on the Wimbledon grass surface, And it didn't really look anything too serious at first, but she must have pulled the muscle. And as you saw, if you watched, whether live or during the highlights, of her not being able to move. I mean, she couldn't be mobile even if uh, her life depended on it. Let's just put it that way. So for Serena to have to walk off the course in tears, and who knows if that's going to be the last Wimbledon we'll ever see her in. That remains to be seen. She's going to be 40. Later on this year, actually in September, 
We'll have to wait and see. We may see what the U.S. Open here at the end of August into September. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But as we discussed last week on the men's side with Stefano Tsitsipas losing in the first round and all the talk is about Novak Djokovic and as far as him going ahead to try to win that third Grand Slam to get the calendar Grand Slam here in 2021, which will be a big story as we get deeper into this tournament and especially if he wins it. And to me, the only threat that he has, and I said this last week, I'll say it again, is Daniel Medvedev, who is ranked number two in the world, and or Alexander Zverev, who won his match today, as well as Djokovic in straight sets. Both of them have moved on to the quarterfinals. And all I could say is that either one of those two guys could have a shot against Djokovic, but with the express train of Joker and how he's just performed all year long I cannot see him losing this tournament and mind you Tsitsipas had him 0-2 in the French Open and that's going to be the one everybody's going to circle in the tennis community as the turning point of not only Djokovic's gear this year but also of the all the Grand Slams because if it wasn't for that we wouldn't even be talking about Djokovic going for history and immortality when it comes to winning all four Grand Slams in one year. Now, can Medvedev or Zverev beat Djokovic here at Wimbledon? Absolutely. Why can't they? But Joker is so on top of his game and so focused, and I know that he's zeroing in on this, that he would have to implode for him not to win this tournament right now. Uh, That's just how I see it. I think him... Not only beating the doll in that third set, and a lot of people could even look at that in the semifinal at the French, but also being down 0-2 to come back the way he did and then now to have so much gas in his tank knowing that he has those first two legs over and done with. And now that he has a clear path headed straight to winning this Wimbledon. And I don't want to hear about Roger Federer either because Federer is a guy that he's still alive and he's still around in this tournament, but do you really think he's going to match shot for shot against Djokovic at this stage of his career? As we have said time after time, I need to see it in order to believe it. And that's not a knock on Federer. We know how great of a champion he is, and but for him to come back for these knee injuries and to go up against that guy, I mean, Djokovic right now is the best by far in the sport. Uh, and I can't see that happening. And I know he loves Wimbledon. I know he loves that surface, Federer that is, but I just can't see it. So we will see as we get deeper into this week how the Djokovic freight train goes. And on the women's side, one name I didn't mention last week, and it's my bad, is Coco Goff. And she's going up against Angelique Kerber, who a lot of people are familiar with. As a matter of fact, let me even take a quick peek to see what she's done today. Because the number one woman in the world, and the one Ash Barty, she won in straight sets earlier over the French Open finalist, and the one Barbara Krejcikova. So Barty is looking to not only hold on to that number one seed, but also to get to a Wimbledon final and win it. But as I take a look here, as far as tennis, right now we don't have anything yet for Coco Goff. And uh, yes, I look at the schedule, of course, the internet is slowing me down. But Goff has a great case to get deep into this tournament. And as it is right now, This is the fourth round. So we saw her perform well in the French and go pretty deep there. 
And now that she's gotten into the second week here at Wimbledon, we're waiting to see whether or not that she could propel herself to get to a semifinal and even a women's final, which would be fantastic from this regard. As we know, women's tennis, especially U.S. women's tennis for that matter, is pretty much non-existent. We have not seen a women's tennis player in forever to perform on the level over the years, whether you're looking at someone like, I'm not even going to go way back as far as Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, etc. Of course, people are going to say Serena Williams, I understand that. But now Serena is at the back end of her career. And even though I understand she's won recently, as far as majors within the last four or five years, but we have to understand that her dominance and her level as being the best women's player in the world, that is long past her. So when we look at who that next person is going to be, we can only hope that it's going to be someone along the likes of a Coco Goff, and let's see if she's able to do so. And as I look up right now, she loses to Angelique Kerber, straight set 6-4-6-4. So the Wimbledon journey for the 17-year-old comes to a close here at the expense of Angelique Kerber. So now we're going to get to wait and see whether Ash Barty does win this tournament for the five people out there, or maybe even two people for that matter, that care about the women's game. And that's what we have here as we get to close out the final week of Wimbledon. And obviously I'll have more on that next week. And two quickies on the NFL. Well, actually three. Three weeks from today, are you ready for it? Training camp will begin in a lot of places throughout the country. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, I certainly can C-A-N wait. Football, I'm not ready for. As you know, I'm a summer guy. I'm well into the baseball, of course, the basketball and the hockey, which is going to be gone here in the next week or so. But football, I'm not going to be geeked up and ramped up and jacked up for an NFL season. Not until week one, until it's ready to raise the curtain. And I'm not talking about the Thursday night game, Dallas and Tampa. Yeah, I'll pay attention to it, whatever, but no. That first Sunday of the NFL season, that's when I'll be ready. And with that said, the Cowboys for the third time will host Hard Knocks. The only reason why I bring that up is because for those who like Hard Knocks, and I've been in and out of it over the years, but you wonder if this is another ploy for Jerry to, and Jerry Jones that is, to have all the attention on his team, his quarterback coming off of that gruesome injury, to have Dallas back in the landscape, back in the picture, back in the graces of the NFL fan, whether good, bad, or indifferent. So I don't know if that was his doing to say, yes, we'll do it again. Why not? And of course, the Cowboys have to be front and center. And I believe for the first time that Hard Knocks, when it airs, I think it's going to be August 12th, they will already have a preseason game in because the Cowboys will play the Steelers in the Hall of Fame game. So generally, when the first episode comes out, you're going to see a lot of the young players, a lot of the veterans, whatever, trying to either fight for a spot on the team or their off-season stories. Well, you're going to get that and some footage, you would think, of the first preseason game that'll take place in Canton. So you'll have that to chew on for those who are interested. And then lastly, Demarius Thomas, the longtime Bronco receiver. He also was a part of the Jets there for some time later in his career. Four-time Pro Bowler, went to two Super Bowls, won as a part of that Super Bowl 50 team. Retires, goes off into the sunset, so congratulations to him and his career. And now let's get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to Gwen Goldman. 
Now you must be thinking, who the hell is Gwen Goldman? She recently fulfilled a lifelong dream, and that's a literal lifelong dream, by becoming a Batgirl for the Yankees, a team she loved while growing up almost 60 years after being turned down by being a Batgirl due to her gender. Now, obviously, the world was a different place six decades ago, unfortunately, based on the reasons that were explained to her at the time as to why she couldn't become a Batgirl. So let's just call it as we see it. It was sexist. I'm not going to get into it. It was just not right. What could you say? There was 1961. I'm not going to sit here and say it was warranted, whatever. But again, we all know why in that era, that time, why she couldn't become a Batgirl. But here it is 60 years later. Who said that it's never too late or that you're too old to accomplish anything while we're alive and breathing? So for Gwen Goldman to have the opportunity to be front and center there as a Batgirl, I believe just for a few innings, to be in the dugout, to throw out the first pitch to Tyler Wade, to take some pictures behind home plate there at Yankee Stadium, I believe it was on Tuesday night, a thrill of a lifetime for Gwen Goldman. So you, and congratulations, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to the International Olympic Committee, otherwise known as the IOC, for suspending sprinter Shakari Richardson for 30 days from Olympic competition for failing a marijuana test. Now, is that a substance that is banned on the list? Of course, 100%, can't deny it, understood. But as we know, over the course of the last few years, these archaic rules need to be revised as cannabis has become pretty much mainstream throughout the U.S. and I'm sure in certain parts of the world for that matter. Obviously, you could go to Amsterdam, not that I've ever been. But we all know that smoking marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. And this is coming from someone who's never smoked weed in my entire existence, let alone a cigarette. So I could care less about marijuana. But for the IOC to lay the smackdown and hurt their sport in the process, because I'm sure a lot of people would have liked to have seen Shikari Richardson in the track and field events, but to cut their nose off to spite their face, and again, I understand that it's a substance that's not allowed, and it's banned, etc., etc., but you know what? You would think between now and then, they would take a look at that, revise it, and maybe institute it before July 23rd, and as we all know, I could care less about the Olympics. I mean, they could be playing in my backyard, and I'm going to draw the blinds. No offense to the people, the athletes in not only this country, but in all the countries who for four years bust their ass to get to that point to hopefully win a gold medal. My thoughts, prayers, I hope all your dreams come true. But for me to watch fervently and to be on top of that night in, night out, not this guy. But for the IOC, who are a bunch of crooks to begin with anyway, and that's one of the reasons why I don't watch them because I don't take them face value or any credence for whatever it is that they do all they want to do is just it's all about them they are my zeros of the week that'll do it episode 201 just about in the books and as I like to implore everybody to do to help promote the expansion of this podcast as I said from the very top please subscribe rate review throw a few stars throw a little review for yours truly I would greatly appreciate it As you know, I'm an independent entity doing what I love, talking about sports. So if you could share a little love and show a little shine on myself and the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it on all the platforms that are available to you. If you want to hit me up with a DM or shoot me an email the old-fashioned way, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, whether that's Instagram, 
J Reels or the J Reels podcast on Twitter, J Reels one, just the number on Facebook, the J Reels podcast fan page or the old fashioned way, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Send any questions, comments, criticism, whatever it may be my way. I'll be sure to follow up with you. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this podcast with the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, everything that takes place to, to build this endeavor of mine, you could go to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it, people. You know that. Because with 201 episodes in the bank, I plan to be here for 201, maybe even 2,001 more with the blessing of the good Lord above. Because whether you do or do not know, I love to talk about sports. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA since day one, people. This is what I love to share. My thoughts, my opinions, my analysis to entertain and inform you guys on everything that's happening on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.